Hello and welcome to this special US presidential election edition. First time we've done a live edition, first time I've ever done any show that has any uh, kind of current affairs to it at all that's even slightly uh, temporarily uh, relative. So we have a Doug Lane who and uh, C. Derek Farn on the call tonight, both regulars from the podcast. Doug, would you like to tell us about how you experience finding out the news that the Donald is our new Uber emperor? Yes. Um, so yesterday I went to, to get a benign cyst removed from my chest. And they numbed me up and uh, cut out the cyst. All the while, um, actually, the doctor was taking breaks from, from removing the cyst to go and check the uh, election results on the computer in the room. Um, but uh, when I got home, I watched the election results. And just as the news came in that uh, Trump was looking good, that he was winning the Rust Belt, the, the numbing agent wore off, and I started to feel this pain in my across my chest really on my skin and just feel the stitches and realize I had been cut. I mean, I, I hadn't really noticed it until that moment. And, uh, uh, yeah, so I spent the, the evening, uh, and some little bit of pain, not, you know, not, not the worst pain ever, but, uh, it seemed to go hand in hand with the pain of realizing that, um, the secret dark fantasy had actually come true. Yeah, it's quite a dark fantasy. Derek, how did you hear the news? I woke up uh, at, I don't know, 5 o'clock in the morning after a nice long sleep that I have not had in a long time and checked the polls and was mildly surprised, although not actually very surprised. I was not nearly surprised as everyone else. Um, well, I we, didn't have breakfast. Do we and have any... Um, do you have I know I've done it I told you so on my Facebook page but I'm a very pessimistic man so that can take that with a pinch of salt Derek do you want to give it I told you so now you know I, I'm going to be fair I, I, I've been calling a lot of this stuff for the against the Democrats for about three and a half years um, because I don't think I've really been and listening to the discontent with them. And I also think they've been misreading it. Fairy stories to themselves about what's actually going on. Um, that it's all racism and sexism, which I'm not going to lie, it definitely plays a part. You can't deny that. But why is it that 60% of the Latino vote in Florida went for Trump? Why is it that in general, in the entire United States, Trump got more Latino votes than Romney. Why is it that despite the fear of Trump and the near apocalyptic rhetoric that's been used for the past three months, not get black voters to come out in force? Well, so, yeah. I think, I well, can I, can I jump in and, <laughs> can, well, I can't say I told you so because I officially uh, congratulated President-elect Clinton the day before the election on my Facebook wall, which I'm sure I thought she would appreciate at the time. Now probably it's bitter um, for her. We're close. But uh, I want to ask Derek a question, which is why is it, do you think, that um, the rhetoric, the apocalyptic rhetoric around Trump didn't get the black vote out the way you might expect it would? 
Because they didn't see them. They didn't see a lot. Well, I'm not going to say that. A lot of the black community, particularly in the South, did not see enough of an incentive for itself to be encouraged to vote. And Clinton just assumed that they were going to vote against Trump and that she didn't put anything on the table for them. What might she have put, what, 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 what might she have put on the table for them? Yeah, I, I really don't know. Um, uh, urban renewal projects, um, something like that. I mean, I don't feel like, the, here's the thing about this whole, about this whole election. This has been the most issueless discussion in a lot of ways that I've ever heard. Like When you say issueless, you mean just everybody saying he's a racist and he's a misogynist and there's no policy discussion. Yeah, and that Russia's going to, you know, purge the election and that third parties are going to cost them the vote. I well, mean, there's... Well, I think it was... I think it was actually quite in a lot of issues talked, but there was only one person talking about them, and that was Donald Trump, because all the issues that he won on, like trade and immigration and things like that, that and say Wall Street, that um, Hillary is she can't talk about them, so right. she she couldn't talk about them, but he could. She was like the perfect negative candidate for him. You know, they couldn't have picked a better candidate to go up against him. And, and what's ironic about that is she is part of why he's a candidate in the first place. Right. The Podesta emails make it very clear they were linking um, info to the press to try to get them to focus on what were quote-unquote fringe candidates the establishment because they thought they would be easier Trying to build a straw race. I mean, I don't know how unself-aware you have to be. <laughs> like, talk about tone death. Well, I think they, they made everything a, wrong. I think they made a calculated decision, Derek. I I think they were. Yeah, they, it was. It was a stupid calculated decision. <laughs> Derek, yeah. do you have any headphones at all? We're getting a bit of feedback. I don't know if you have. Sure, give me a second. I'll get some. Okay. Yeah, like, just to continue, Doug, I think it was an extremely yeah. calculated decision that they knew explicitly what they were trying to do, and they thought the way the establishment could get their establishment character through, you know, nominee through, was this way of bigging up the, the boogeyman. Right. I, I think that, um, you know, look, if you read the Podesta emails, it's not even uh, speculation. They admitted to themselves in various emails that the only candidate that uh, Hillary Clinton appeared to be able to beat at all that she would have any chance with would be someone like Trump. That's at least that was their estimation. And I, I think that if say Rubio uh, or Bush, uh, Jeb Bush um, had run that Clinton might've won. I mean, Clinton might've lost um, just as she did, but in a, in a way which was far less damaging, not just because um, uh, we got Trump out of this deal, but also because it would be far less damaging um, to the Democratic Party and to whatever remains of the left to be opposed to a candidate who wasn't apocalyptic. I mean, to to put this much energy into opposing uh, the villain and to lose 
is demoralizing in profound ways. I just hope that out of it, we can start to think about, you know, like what, what role we all played in, in helping this to happen and where uh, things have gone wrong in, the, say, the last, uh, I don't know, 10 years, really, but certainly in the last four years um, on, on the left and how we've created uh, echo chambers for ourselves so that we don't understand or don't see what's happening nationally or to people who aren't like ourselves. I mean, there's often an accusation made that people on the right just don't care about people who aren't just like them. But I think that that kind of holds across the spectrum. I think you're probably wrong in the last four or 10 years. It's probably the last 5,000 years. But <laughs> um, it, 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 Derek, do you mind muting when you're not talking? Because we're getting a little bit of feedback still. But um, um, I think, yeah, um, I've lost my train of thought now. L let, me, let me just, um, what was I going to say? Um, you put in now, Doug. I, I'm after my mind just went completely blank. Well, um, I was going to say something about um, the way demographics work in yeah. uh, elections, and say so, something to Barn about um, how I think that the black vote um, in in the United States isn't fundamentally different from any other block, which is that um, uh, that people are voting out of what they perceive to be their interest or how uh, maybe for candidates who they recognize as being like them or representing them or somehow embodying their values or speaking to them. Um, but I don't know if, I, I don't, I don't think any, anybody in this last election was thinking uh, in a rational way about what was in their actual interest. Um, you know, I just like Obama didn't have to promise any kind of urban renewal projects in order to get a huge turnout of the black vote. Um, yeah, I'll stop there. Well, of course he didn't. I mean, this is kind of silly. Um, but if you think our democracy should be run like Lebanon, then go ahead. This is the issue here when you, when you, when, when you assume that representation and narrative is going to be what drives an election is seen as naturally representing back interest. Did he? Well, our friends at the Black Agenda Report say definitely no. Um, like, it seems strange to me. What are you going to do about that? It's, it seems strange to me that we had a return of policy to the table. I know you said initially the, the opposite, but I think, you know, Trump actually brought policy among all the racism and misogyny and everything else he brought. He brought actual hardcore anti-establishment policies whether he's going to follow through on them or not like there was it didn't feel like there wasn't a choice in this election i don't know what people make of that oh there was a real choice there was a real choice but the thing is the, the real choice was was basically a, a giant troll i mean it's not that it's not that trump doesn't have policies he does he definitely does he had policy papers they were real um liberal wonks would tear them apart but they didn't Put out anything counter to them you know you could have box after box thing about it and also trump revised his opinion now some of that was cynical um because he's trying to maintain a fairly big block and he's put a lot of establishment people in his cabinet apparently as we're beginning to find out but i've got a question for the this, two use um 
Mm-hmm. I was watching something there today. I was watching some stuff through from a Democracy Now, their their live uh, election program, all five or six hours of it. But Ooh. yeah, so uh, they were one of the people on that was talking about how a lot of people who voted for Obama in the last two elections have switched and voted for Trump this time. That's an interesting. Yeah, and that that speaks to the fact that it, it's not about policies. It's about a perception of um, uh, of the, the, the candidate represents some sort of radical change or is um, going to shake up the, the establishment or, you know, it, the reason why if you voted for Obama uh, four to eight years ago and you might vote for Trump now, it's not suddenly that, that you've d- decided that you're a racist and it's not because you've looked at Trump's policy papers and said, oh, yeah, these all seem right to me. It's because... Um, you were fed up with the Bush administration eight years ago. You thought something that was completely different than that, that looked completely different than that, needed to be uh, put into power. And now you've been given that for eight years, and you're fed up with the kind of milquetoast liberal establishment, and you, you're willing to throw in you know, Pepe the Frog uh, to, to mess up the establishment this time. Well, I, I think yeah, I he... Think... Well, sorry, Derek, you fire ahead. No, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of what's going on. I also think um, there's a whole lot going on with the with liberal um, decla- um, declamations of people actually being self-fulfilling, whereas, you know, um, I think Clinton's long speech about the alt-right, for example, was the biggest gift ever given to that group. I've I've followed them for almost 10 years uh, before they were even called that, I think. I'm not quite sure when Richard Spencer gave them that label. Um, It was probably around 2007, 2008. I know it's after he fell out with the American Conservative magazine when Pat Buchanan was the editor. But they are now a real thing in the American consciousness that I know everyone thought I was crazy for studying for years. Right. I definitely agree with you that, that she made a – that not only Clinton, but the liberals uh, who call themselves part of the left, uh, the, the race and gender-oriented liberals have been creating or helping to create. They're not the only forces behind it, but they've been boosting um, you know, and, and treating – uh, alt-right characters as serious for, you know, I guess eight years or longer, and uh, to some extent, this is a result. And I'm going to say something crazy and maybe a little bit trivial, but I was surprised at how closely, I mean, not not beat for beat, but fairly closely, this election matched the tone and even the framing of the Gamergate scandal. Uh, you know, it was just astounding to me that you know you've the, in a way you could look at trump as like the gamergate candidate what, what is the gamergate can you talk about that again oh it's all about oh, ethics christ <laughs> i'll just say what very briefly but you know the there was a video game developer who had some sort of sex scandal and uh it became a, a big controversy in a twitter war because the uh, establishment of video game journalism kind of uh, circled the wagons around her and started to attack their own readers and um, commoners uh, as misogynists because they were critical 
of uh, this one game developer who had a sex scandal, and it blew up and became a kind of a culture war, uh, mostly on Twitter and, and, and other places. But uh, but then, you know, it got picked up by all the all these big mainstream media organs like the New Yorker and um, CNN and uh, just a variety of places you wouldn't expect to be that concerned about video games. And basically, what I still think of from my slacker, you know, Gen X perspective is a bunch of trolls on bulletin boards. But but it became a, a you know small scale cultural war. And a lot of the rhetoric, you know, was picked up by the Trump campaign. You know, he ran against the media. He ran against the corrupt, liberal, social justice warrior establishment. Yeah, like, I, I think that, like, he had, like, personally, I think a lot of people were actually driven by his policies. Like, if you look at what his major three or four policies were, one is to redo the crumbling infrastructure, right? Everybody wants that. That's a big thing. Two, to uh, um, what was it? Uh, to uh, build the wall. Okay, now not very many people go for that, but it does play into the the racism thing. Uh, three, free trade, bring back and industrialize the things. I think a lot of people looking at them three. I think there is three main ones to me, and and also four, a less interventionist foreign policy. Parts of that, he, he well, Donald has. His, great tactic where he says both sides of the thing but those three were quite consistent and i think most people would agree with two of them you know infrastructure uh reindustrialize and a lot of people were prepared to hold their nose on the third one the racist one and i think probably a lot well, of people don't think you'll be able to carry it through that but his, his think, plan on reindustrializing was to impose tariffs and get better trade deals with our allies or yes yeah absolutely. Right. And, that, and that would bring the jobs back that would that would bring jobs back to the united states that was his plan and then the infrastructure was i mean i didn't see any policy positions the first or, thing the first thing doug he said today in his acceptance speech the first policy thing he said today was uh air to re redo our infrastructure and he also has been talking about you know increasing military spend and to me, like I think, like I think a lot of people are looking at that, and they're sitting in Ohio or wherever the hell they're they are in some old Rust Belt place, and they're thinking he might bring the jobs back. He's the only candidate since since Ross Perot who said bring the jobs back. Literally the only candidate, and they go, we'll vote for him and we'll hold our nose on the racism. And I think that is a, I think to me that think is a lot of it. Like I, I hate to see. Like after I've been in England going through all the Brexit and you see how a lot of people are saying people are stupid or stupid or stupid. The people who vote, look at the, where the areas are that voted for Brexit it was all the ones that got decimated by the neoliberal policies and deindustrialization. And look at who voted for Donald Trump this time. All the swing states, as far as I could see, were Rust Belt. The, ba the major ones were Rust Belt. Or a good few of them were. Oh, the, are the South, and they thought the South was actually closer than they thought because of um, because of the minority vote, but not nearly enough. And beyond that, all those areas have been, uh, you know, economically hit. I think economically devastated. You know, I'm from Georgia. I'm from a part of Georgia uh, that has not yet seen a recovery from the 2002 recession. I'm actually not even kidding. So. 
jobs are never coming back. The only thing holding the economy there afloat at all is military Keynesianism. And even that's been waning for the past 20 years because it's been more and more centralized in certain areas through the congressional pork spending and all this. Um, we shouldn't be surprised that Trump is going to offer a lot of stuff on infrastructure. I mean, look what sector of the bourgeoisie comes out of. He comes out of real estate development. He understands that. Exactly. Um, and that's an ama that's a very important thing because he's a part of he, – he does not trade in, in commodities, bring them across international borders. He doesn't give it – he doesn't give a damn about like the free trade. The free trade doesn't really affect him. You know, he's building real estate in in, and, and that's going to be used by the people who are near. You know, generally who live near that area. You know, maybe some direct foreign investment, yeah. but but it, it's not. He, he's not like making iPhones from in China and bringing them. That's where he's made his money. So like, it's a very important thing to understand why he can be for free, for 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 tariffs. And why he can make that or that as a, as a billionaire he can make that decision because it doesn't really affect his bottom line. With a very I, crude. And, mm -hmm. I, I I was going to jump in. I I don't disagree with that at all. Really, I I, I mean I want to point out that I don't think that the Trump's policies have much of a shot at all of having the kinds of positive effects that he's claiming. That that uh you know the the infrastructure spending. Um, you know, can can happen when you have a solid fiscal basis for the spending, and we don't. We have a fiscal crisis or on the verge of one, have been for the last eight years. The other thing, uh, and the tariffs, I think that the, there are lots of unintended consequences to to what he's suggesting there. Um, but but just to draw it back to the cultural side of this, the problem for the left was one. We're backing the 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 so-called left was backing a candidate who you're right couldn't speak to these issues in any way that was serious because all they were gonna all Clinton was gonna do is say yeah just grin and bear it basically um, this is the best of all possible worlds um, and the actual left uh, had no desire to really speak to these issues deeply and even those that did. Could, wouldn't be heard be, uh, because there was this cultural divide that made it makes it almost impossible to even talk to anyone uh, who isn't just like you or who isn't, uh, you know, if you're on the coast, you're not even going to be heard probably by most of the people in the Rust Belt. Um, I think that's totally by design. And I think that, uh, I think that, you know, that Donald Trump is the end game of that, long-term political you know system you know this idea there's a political game going on that the democrats can shift to the right and shift slowly to the right and and the republicans go further to the right but you know it's like a, a coil you know a spring coil it'll oscillate back to another another configurement when you get to a certain point and this point could have been a, a democrat could have done it like bernie or it could have been you know, a, a kind of a racist, neo-fascist populist like, like Trump. But that, to me, that's the end game of the system of how it was set up. The idea that when Barack Obama went in, into office, it was all about stimulate the economy to make sure it doesn't completely collapse. And the minute they they stimulated to such an extent to revive it, then they decided to to do austerity. You know, the, the, these things. And, you know, Obama sold people down the line and they looked to this hope, hope change. What was it that the 
you know, what was it, Sarah Palin said, you know, what about this hopey change and stuff? How's that doing for you? You know, that that's that she was dead right. You know, well, I, I mean, don't think when you break fools. it down, they've been, they've been, well, they do think people are fools. They're trying to for the last two years. And yes, there have been jobs coming back. They've been, they've been incredibly lower paying. The average income has gone down. The amount of people out of the job, out of the job market altogether and are no longer counted. The employment rolls has, has gone up dramatically. Some of that is aging. Some of that is also people in staying in school forever um causing part of the student debt crisis which even though the student debt crisis is somewhat overreported, um that's also bubbling um i don't know what they really expected i th this is where I i'm sort of frustrated with the entire freaking spectrum um and you know I, the left isn't willing to oppose the democrats on shit not really when it, when, when it push comes to shove, you, they wouldn't even risk Trump. And because they wouldn't even risk Trump, they got him anyway. And the reasons for that is, are complicated, but it has a lot to do with the fact that they're not culturally that different from Democrats themselves. They're, not, they're basically from the same white collar professional class. And I'll be honest with you, um, you know, where I'm from, there aren't any Marxists. And where I'm from, you know, there's like five people in BLM and it's, it's a majority black area now. Um, yeah, I live in Cairo, but I, I still go home. I still talk to those people. And, I, and I've been trying to tell liberals and leftists both to shut the fuck up and listen to them for years. And they have not done it. I mean, you can hear the anger in my voice because I really am angry at them. Them, more than the right. Yeah. Well, okay, well, how, I mean, how can you, how can you overcome that cultural, first of all, how, okay, a couple of things. <laughs> um, the first thing is, I, I don't think hey, that- Hey, wait, uh, sorry, one thing I just want to say is that, sorry to, okay. to cross, talk across here, is that, you know, we're talking about culture the whole time here, and we're Marxists. Just want to point that out. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, okay, but that's the thing that we've been, this, I feel like this uh, election has forced me to think about culture again um, in a way I don't like. But, um, okay, what was I going to say? I was going to say, first of all, I, I don't think that the election of Trump represents any kind of coordinated, conscious, by design effort to bring uh, Trump into power or to try a fascist solution by the establishment in the you know the bourgeois establishment. It, this oh, is a, a this is a big fucking mistake um, that uh, that's happened. So and from their perspective, the but, second thing is. I want to just say something to Derek, and then go ahead. Can I can I go on? Okay. Um, yeah. The uh, <laughs> you know trying to get uh, leftists to listen. First of all, get anyone to listen is really tough right now because we're all in our little cocoons and bubbles, and all we do is talk about ourselves all the time. Um, you know, on social media and such, and that includes, I think, that includes you know, people in the deep South, as much as it includes coastal uh, latte sipping fucks like myself. But, um, I, but I, so I, I think it's fair 
to to be angry at the liberals and the left right now but um and i and i'm not angry at the people in wisconsin and pennsylvania and wherever the hell ohio uh that made this happen but i do think that but that they're those people made a big mistake um and i think that the the i mean a big mistake and the Figuring out how to talk to people and listen to them and be listened to is a, a huge part of uh, what any left project should be about right now. Well, um, well let's let's that, just try to be good Marxists for a second and talk about what class options really were, because we are getting bogged down in culture. But like I was trying to get into this a bit with the whole class analysis thing um, with the bourgeoisie. People don't think about the bourgeoisie being different and divided amongst itself and different sectors being very different because they don't think about class really. Even Marxists for the, in the main don't really seem to, it's an abstraction that they throw around that they talk about the working class and they talk about the bourgeoisie and they don't know who they are. Who they are. You get some bullshit about the precariat or uh, industrial workers who don't exist or, um, you know, um, We'll get in debates about labor aristocracy with very poorly defined terms. I mean, this is always the way it goes because this has not been truly dealt with in a sense where you had to go out and really learn it. Part of the reason why it hasn't happened, though, and it's something we really do need to talk about that's deep history for the left, is that when they did attempt this in the 60s and 70s to really go out into the workforce, it totally blew up in their face. Um, it didn't go anywhere. They couldn't talk to um, people in the unions, you know, and, and it's, they complained about them being reactionary. They were mostly just Democrats, to be frank, um, but they couldn't get any headway with them. Um, well, the thing is, back then, they didn't, they, first of all, those, the people that did that, I would guess, were still tied somewhat to the Soviet Union. Oh, yeah, for sure. So you're talking about a situation then where the workers who didn't want to talk to those people weren't being stupid at all, <laughs> you know? The, those people... No, I'm not saying they were either. Yeah, right. I mean, those people had a line of shit to sell them that they didn't want to buy, and good for them that they didn't. Well, um, I, I, must, I must jump in here. Like, Doug, you said earlier that it was a total and utter royal fuck-up by the establishment to have Donald in. And I, I don't really see it that way, to be honest with you. I think that it, when they, the establishment had their choice, you know, they had their choice between, look who was, look who on, on the polls, who was the most dominant person against Trump. It was Bernie. He was miles ahead. If when they put them head to head, he was trouncing Donald. Hillary was neck and neck. And they were willing to risk. This is like, just look at the history of, of the, of the 20th century. They were willing to risk a neo-fascist instead of a moderate left guy. Like, remember, like, <laughs> like, okay. Okay. But wait a minute. Let's, let me just jump in. Wait, no, no, I got to jump in here. First of all, I'm not finished yet. Though. I've, I've finished no, the no, point. But, okay. Finish your point. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So like, if you think about back to the 1930s, the, the, the only time in American history where they actually ended up getting a left government in FDR, you know, whatever you want to call FDR, social Democrat, whatever left. Yeah. It was, you know, I, I'm not saying he was radical. Yeah, exactly. But like the Labour Party in England did did redistribution of, uh, of yeah, and they brought in certain good things. 
The last one was FDR, and that took like a world war, you know, a Great Depression, uh, uh, and the Soviet you know, Union. Soviet Union, the communists, the Spanish <laughs> Revolution. It, it took all of these things happening at that time to get FDR. And they, they look at now and, and how weak the left is at the moment is, is that our version of the Soviet Union or whatever is like Bernie Sanders, you know? And they looked at it and they went, we're willing okay, to can, risk. Yeah, can I jump in now? Trump. <laughs> yeah, okay. sorry, sorry. Okay, now, all right. Please, but it's my jump. show, Doug. It's my show. I should be able to talk. <laughs> all right. No, okay, but here's the thing. It's not as though the, the DNC and the RNC are the same people. Okay, I mean, it, and they, it's not that they even represent the same interests within capitalism. They don't, uh, not entirely. Um, and look, uh, it's not that the RNC like wanted Trump or the D the DNC thought they could beat Trump. The so the uh, Clinton and the DNC did try help him, but the main point here is that the Democratic base, the Democratic base was not unified enough to get their populist into into the, the nomination. It's not on the DNC elites, okay? That's not on the DNC elites. If anything, it's not grassroots organizers and the Democratic base. And we didn't have it together enough to unify around Bernie Sanders. Whether or not we should have unified around him is another question altogether. Uh, he would have been our Trump, okay? He, he would represent all the ideological, ideological solutions to our current problem. Not real solutions, ideological ones. I think they're better. I don't think they'll work. But I think they're better. But it, it, you can't just sit, you can't say, oh yeah, they're willing. No, uh, the forces at work right now are, you know, but are, more but unified they're, on the right. They're, just, they're a massive. Of course, they're more unified. <laughs> Did you literally just say they were more unified on the right? Yes. Did I hear that? The, the populist That's base, bullshit. not not the. Not, I'm not talking about okay. the RNC. I'm not talking about the RNC. I'm not talking okay. about Bush and. And Glenn Beck and all okay, of those okay. people. I'm talking about the base. But you see, you see, the base is actually right wing in character, though. See, that's what I just that's what I just got from you. Whereas I, I don't think it is. I think it's a burn the fuckers down moment. I don't Absolutely. think it's. I don't think it's right wing in character any more than the Democratic base is left wing in character. Doug, this is like the third or fourth. <laughs> This is like the third or fourth one of these things I've lived through. Like I'm, I'm talking about, you didn't have like we had Brexit here in England. That was really that was like a pox on their houses vote. And in in Ireland we had the Nice referendum where we voted to stop European integration, and that got and we had to do that twice because Europe had to come in and say no, you got to do this. Like th these are like protest votes, and you know, a, certainly a percentage of people were energized to do a racism. And maybe misogyny too, but to me, that's that doesn't explain, you know, that doesn't explain the the, the thing at all. The one another thing I, I I'd like to say is that, <clears throat> you know, we had the same. If you look to what's happening in Britain and look to what's happening in the United States, you've got the exact same thing happening over here. You've got like Jeremy Corbyn is the equivalent of Sanders. You had the left party, neoliberal parties split one managed to hold it together in the u.s the other one jeremy corbyn got through that's purely because of the electoral system and then that the labor party has and then the other on the other side you have say the conservatives here and the ukip basically kind of causing some kind of a split on ukip or on on on, on brexit and then on the american side you got donald trump who has essentially destroyed the republican party donald trump 
I heard him say this, I don't know how long ago, six months or a year ago, saying that he wants, in five years, he wants the Republican Party to be a workers' party. Th that's the scariest thing that we have. Because I know, that's, Doug... That's I, very scary. Yeah, and that is, that's actually, I, I believe that's what's happening. And people are talking about, you know, I'm a white guy, blah, blah, but, uh, you know, I do have a mixed-race child, so I do have an interest in in race relations and all that. But, you know, to me, that that's a, it's a major thing. But to me, that's currently the minor thing. Because what I think Donald Trump is going to do, and if he does this, it's very frightening. What, the, what he's going to try and do is he's going to try and implement MMT-style policies, policies that I've been talking about on my podcast for ages, talking to MMTers, just like Hitler did. Hitler wasn't popular when he got in. And he's going to do use his currency, and he's basically going to. It's, Hitler built up a war machine to get people back to work, and Donald Trump is going to use it for probably some parts of war machine, but other infrastructure. And if he puts people back to work using the power of the currency, you know, and he gets unemployment right down and get good quality jobs. Forget about the trade thing. Even if he just does infrastructure projects all across America, you know the you remember Dick Cheney said when when George Bush was in power, Reagan proved that deficits don't matter. Now, the minute Obama got into power, deficits mattered. But you can be sure the Republicans are very willing to switch back to deficits don't matter for building their infrastructure. And if he does that and he gets up massive infrastructure building all across America, just in his class interests as his type of capitalism, you know, as a as a as a as a real estate guy, uh, that is the real fear that he's going to be successful. And to me, I would not be surprised if he pours on these infrastructure projects like a New Deal type one. And, you know, they may be negative. They mightn't they mightn't be the type that Bernie was talking about. You know, it might be green the economy. It could be freaking no coal plants or whatever the hell it's going to be. But if he does it and the economy gets flying, watch him get reelected and he won't have to play the race card the same way if he doesn't want to. Well, here's the thing, though. The economy won't get flying. We're at the end yeah, of the I mean, what, cycle. Yeah, what, what made uh, Hitler's projects somewhat successful, I, I think, my understanding is, is that he had a war. He didn't have a war. He had he, that, well. The main reason why he oh, did it, he, I thought he, he had. What do you mean? Like uh, he had a command economy. There, is what he had. He basically did state-led investment, and just like any country can, who has control over their own currency, they can do state-led investment, and the government debt doesn't matter because they can print their money. Oh yes, we see the they specter want. of neo Keynesianism again because you confuse money with value. Um, no, no, no. This is what no, I'm no, saying. No, no, he, had, no. he had a war because no, this is know, not neo-Keynesianism. This is this is post-Keynesianism, and this is exactly this is exactly. Well, oh, go on. I don't think <laughs> you know. I think I will, you I'll wait articulate and, an argument in a minute. But go ahead. Uh, like because the reason is you can in currency and you can it, it will not cause a problem if it's creating products that are value, that the society determines have value. And people in society definitely determine that infrastructure and bridges and roads and all that stuff has value. So the debt, you will not have inflation. And inflation is, your, is the only problem you have when you control your currency. 
they go it, it's basically uh, the, 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 the he's going to send things and it's going to be slightly more command and control slightly more like a wartime economy and if he does that that's the problem i want to tag derek in that only lasts for yeah yeah that only lasts for 20 years um i'm, I'm no. serious this, this is where i have a war with mm war would you post Keynesians because basically I think what you're doing is dangerous. Um, the, the convolution of a generational cycle with a long business cycle is foolish. One, um, yes, that will work in the immediate term, but it doesn't actually produce long-term value unless you can produce commodities that can subtract for abstract. And there's going to always be a decline in that. You can only push command that for so long and you see that in china right now they can't command themselves out of their slow growth it doesn't mean their economy's crashing it doesn't mean that it was all a failure but it lasted about a generation you saw that in north korea in the 60s and 70s it was outpacing south korea for the same reason you saw that in russia in the transitions to the 50s there have been such economies that existed they never lasted more than 30 years and mmt does not use enough long-term analysis to do anything about it. And I'm kind of tired of his popularity on the left, and I kind of wish these people would be discredited. The end. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, dis I, I disagree with you, Jared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm foreign on this one. <laughs> well, okay, let's, let's assume. Okay, well, let the two years. Well, like, I consider myself a good Marxist, but that doesn't mean I'm not open. Heretic. Jared, what are you doing? <laughs> I I'm consider myself a good Marxist. Heretic. But I think... I think Marxists are very wrong when it comes to understanding a currency. And the, the thing is, even if assume that I'm wrong, right? And let's assume that Derek is right, okay? And if you're saying, oh, it can work for 20 years, well, that's, that's long enough. Well, yeah? I'm saying it would be worse. I'm saying it would be worse. I think in order for it to work it, you're going to need an external enemy in a way to start. Um, you I mean, don't I don't need an external enemy. Why don't you? All he, he, he could literally say, I'm going to connect every major city in America to high speed rail. And I'm going to do that. And it's going to be it's going to create five million jobs and it'll last 10 years to do it. He does that in the morning. There's no external war and he's got a massive infrastructure thing going. And there's going to be value created there. And there's going to be going to there's going to also be there's also going to be a surplus created because it's going to be capitalist well this is this is something we should like debate for a, a whole like i don't know year probably <laughs> you know for yeah, a while because so. it, i think we all like doug and i are closer in this we we have our beliefs for different reasons um doug is pure logical capital i'm more historical but i I'm actually do not see the evidence for this yeah, yeah i know except you're really secretly a capitalist and you added yourself even though you're the Marxist, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, don't no. Worry. Here don't worry. Here. I, I'm a bodega. I, I don't believe. I'm should... lighting the steak right now, Tom. <laughs> I don't believe I we must... should burn the heretics. I just believe we should, you know, be educated. Here, as, um, Derek, as, as Ryan got in the, in the chat said. Uh, did you, did you see what Ryan got in the chat said? He's, oh. I'm gonna, I'm go, he's gonna grab infrastructure. He's gonna grab infrastructure by the pussy. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah, I will say this. I'll give you this though. The infrastructure is desperately needed in the United States, and I mean desperately. It's it's obscene. Um, but you know, I travel around you, the world. 
mm-hmm. and then you go to the United States and you look at like the roads and the bridges, you're like, Christ almighty, this is, this is kind of like going to Brazil or somewhere. Well, I mean, it, it, I do live in a country where the infrastructure is actually way, way worse. But um, North America in general's infrastructure is not nearly what it should be. And, and I include in that Canada, Mexico, and Belize. Um, and B, uh, uh, the bigger thing and the, the harder thing to deal with with that is that the infrastructure is much older than in Europe for reasons of, of wars. And the infrastructure is much older than in Asia. But our infrastructure also is such a weird product of history that it doesn't make any damn sense. It, it creates all kinds of weird problems. Um, part of it's the size of the country, but not all of it. I mean, you go to any American city and its, its infrastructure setup actually almost demands that it be a suburb of itself and that the center sort of rots. And then once the, once the center rots enough, it gets cheap, people run back in, they'll develop that, and then the outskirts will rot. It, it's not, which is what's happening right now, you're having an, uh, an inversion cycle. But it, it's, it's not set up to balance that out at all. Um, and I think everyone knows it, but there's so much, you know, the the funny thing about Trump, and this is going to be a problem for the left, uh, and should be a problem for the left, is that we don't have any answers for, we as in the establishment version of us, those who really work with establishment, for really how to do this because we always have made excuses that it wasn't politically possible because of neoliberalism, because of right-wing opposition or whatever. Trump may do it with, like, John Bolton in his damn cabinet. Yeah, well, I know, mean, like, he'll... It, Newt Gingrich is it's like Nixon goes in his cabinet, too, yeah. It's, 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 it's Nixon goes to China moment. But, you know, Newt, have Look, you ever I met... Just, Derek, what are you doing there? It's very noisy. Uh, I live in a major city. Okay, sorry. It sounds like you're inside a pillow. But, uh, like, you know, have you ever met a Republican, or for that matter, a Democrat, who said no to military spending? No. I've never met uh, anybody who said no to military and Keynesianism since the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, and there hasn't even been that much of it since the, you know, well... The only type of Keynesianism there's been is military Keynesian since then. There's never been non-military infrastructure. If he does, does we're going to see eight years of Donald Trump. Um, somebody, I, I could just ask people who are listening if they can give the show a thumbs up. That'll help out. And uh, maybe a retweet or something. But um, here's, here's something somebody asked. Uh, what about the Russia connection? What do people think about the geopolitics? Have we... Have we are we finished talking about the culture and the economics? Do people want to say anything well, I, over there? I, I, mean, I want to just say that I, I, uh, I think that the economic questions that we've been talking about are really important, not just to, in so much as they will predict you know, whether or not Trump gets one or two terms, but also uh, just to, you know, if we don't know what we think the foundational problems are, we're not going to, and we have an agreement, some kind of agreement, some level of agreement on that, then we're, we're not going to be able to organize any kind of projects to, to address those but, problems. So, right, but we clearly don't. And to, get, to talk about this and maybe tie it into Russia, okay. um, just because they're related, actually, in this weird way that it doesn't seem like they are. Uh, the left, 
and I'm here I'm saying the radical left, the Marxist left, we don't have a common theory. I mean, look at what we just did. We just fought over MMT versus uh, pure non-currency speculation. Basically, the, the post-Keynesian Marxist synthesis with the anti-Keynesian Marxist whatever. Well, um, well, well, here, Derek, there's something's got to be said there first. Most of those post-Keynesian people don't agree with any type of value theory. And also, the Marxists who agree with it, they, they also, they don't believe in a long-term falling rate of profit. But I do believe in a long-term falling rate of profit. And I am a value theorist. But I do think that there is a lack of understanding of how the currency works. And there is a synthesis there that is worrying for us if we look at what, uh, what is likely to do. The last two or three Republican uh, presidencies have expanded their deficit massively and say deficits don't matter. And we'd be naive to think Trump's not going to do the same thing and get growth up to 4 or 5%. It's, that's to me, is just what he will do. I don't know if we get growth to the 4 or 5%. I mean, there's too much. The thing is that the economy is, even in this point of shrinking, that it currently is worldwide. I mean, trade it's not shrinking. It's still growing. Everywhere. No, no. It's still but growing. Trade, but trade is, trade is the rate. Down. The rate of growth is shrinking, right? Yeah, the rate of the rate of growth is shrinking, and the rate of trade is shrinking actually fairly dramatically and fairly quickly. But it's um, still, yeah. you know, the GDP in the countries is still up. You know, worldwide, I think the average is like four percent. In America, it's about two percent. So things are still growing. They're not. They're not shrinking. Right. The rate of growth is what we're saying. What's the population? Growth? I know. Yeah. What's the population growth? Uh, if, I'm not sure. If, about 1%? if the rate of profitability does not extend the rate of population growth, then you actually do not have a net growth. Just pointing that out. So, but um, but, but the, I I fear uh, that what we're going to end up with is if um, if it does if you're wrong about how successful Trump's policies can be, and I think you are, I think we're going to see uh, massive reactions and scapegoating, both you know internally and externally. For U.S. problems, I see the Trump being a very violent administration. Ultimately, uh, all I see the I see the opposite problem. I see that he's going to be successful with his economics, which is going to give his other political views a legitimacy, and that's that's the worry to me. Hmm. And I kind of cut the difference between you and think you're both a little bit wrong, but um. To, to go into that a little bit, to, to get back to Russia, uh, I think that Trump may actually be somewhat scapegoaty because he already is. I mean, the, the, the propellant of the campaign did begin with calling Mexicans rapists. Um, I mean, like almost literally, that's what started it. Um, not all Mexicans, of course, but the ones that are over here. So no, are the there. ones that are coming into the country illegally, that's all he said. Right. Um, <laughs> Go on. And, and, but you notice that that's actually fallen away for the most part. They have talked about the wall, but the anti-Hispanic rhetoric has actually died down quite a bit. Um, Anti-Muslim rhetoric has not. You need to put that in the context, though. And finally, we can get to Russia of the geostrategic stuff worldwide. Because while growth still exists worldwide, it is slowing. It is slowing down. Um, it is particularly slowing down 
in the peripheral. The BRIC countries are hurting the most because they were the most reliant on a mineral extraction. All right. That's true here in North Africa. That's true in Russia. It's not as true in China. That's true in Brazil. That's true in Venezuela. For Christ's sake, it's true in Venezuela. And that's true in India. All right. That's only going to get worse. That is going to be the ticking time bomb of the end of this business cycle. And we all agree that business cycles exist, right? We agree on that. I'm not. Yeah. Yes. Tom? Yeah. The, the in Max, I've just right. done a, a talk with Michael Roberts about them. <laughs> right. So, you know, we, 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 and we, I think we all even agree that there are long and short cycles, which is actually more controversial, but right. I think we agree with this. Yeah. Well, it seems to be a, a kind of statistical fact, but whether that's a, a systemic compunction or just a, our small data set, it's hard to know. These contrarian okay, waves, like, these contrarian waves are seventy years long, and we only You're have right. stats, so it could be anything. It could be, it could be. Just we have no stats for one hundred and thirty years, so so you don't even have but one and a half of them. Yes. Or we only have valid stats for capitalism, and that's only really for Britain going back to 1870. Um, I mean, there might be some better than that, but the, what I have found that's pretty decent goes back to 1870. Like, we know the average wages for British workers in the 1870s and 1880s. Um, anyway. Can so, I just so, interject, interject a, a meta comment on at this point? Go ahead. Which is, you know, I think the what's the name of this conversation? Like the death of the wonks or something? Yes. And it seems like um, maybe that this has been the, the rebirth of the wonks only on, you know. The death of wonktopia. Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, right now. Yeah, but I, 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 mean, I, I am wonk dystopia. My wonkery only brings no. this is the, <laughs> we're, we're the wonk dead. Dog, we're the wonk dead. <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, I Keep think these conversations are, are important to have. I think. But the, the one of the problems that we have is, first of all, we can't all agree, but that's not, you know, I think we could work that out just with if we all had long swords, but, um, <clears throat> or, you know, some sort of weaponry. We but, could just uh, use our, our penises, say, for example. Oh, then I'd be, you know, I, I, would, I would definitely lose. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the uh, well, actually, I don't know. You guys may not be that in doubt. But the, 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 the point here is, uh, people other than us, you know, bizarre people like us, are fairly allergic, especially right now, to this kind of talk. Um, it just reeks of, doesn't it? Just reek of elitism or of, of. Uh, I mean, what are your What's friends you in Georgia? Well, I mean, like, how how patient uh, are people on the left or the right with this kind of? They're not. But but this is this is actually a big problem. Um, we get into one of the confusions we have with wonkery is trying to give perspective on a long and a long array versus trying to like lay out policies. And <laughs> the problem with that is that this this stuff is really unsexy. It also doesn't make I'm gonna be frank with you. Doesn't make you feel good. The more you know about this, the more you realize the odds of good things happening according to a left perspective are remarkably low. Um, they're not impossible, and they take a lot of understanding and effort, but trying to get people to do it is, is a problem. And, you know, when I said the death of Wonktopia, I was quoting my friend Amog, um, but to go into that a little bit more detail why I used it, is this is a rejection of the 
this is a rejection of policy as pragmatism, but it's not. I don't think it's a rejection of policy. I think I think Tom actually has a point. Um, it might be their policy might be horribly wrong. Yeah, but it's it's not a rejection of policy per se. Um, it's not a rejection of history. I mean, although I've seen so many like superficial comparisons to 1932, <laughs> and you know, like. Well, if the if the KPD and the SPD did you know didn't hate each other, then they would have defeated um, they would have defeated the Nazis. Well, actually, we're not the KPD, we're not the SPD, and they hated each other for reasons. Um, and you and know, Trump sort not, of like and Trump is not Hitler. <laughs> Trump, if anything, is oh probably, God, no, he's, he's I wanted to be that he is Hitler. He's absolutely Hitler. Do you know who we like? The Hitler, Hitler. Doug, you're a big Doug. You're a big fan of of Zizek, and I'm not so much a fan of Zizek. But yeah. one thing he did say that I, I read a few years ago was that you know he was talking about what's the future of capitalism, and he was saying that Berlusconi is the future of capitalism. Yeah, yeah, and that's what Trump is. Trump is closer Trump, to Berlusconi. Trump is Berlusconi plus Andrew Jackson with a little bit of George Wallace mixed in. And yeah, I, but George Wallace, if we remember, was 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 uh, was uh, was a dictator. He had yes, but yes, but he he's, his economic policies were stimulus, you know, right. and they were, and and they were and they were for the working man, you know, the white working man, but they were for the working man more so. And uh, you know, he, Trump has this amazing tactic. What he does is he says he says both sides of an argument. He'll say it one time. And he signals it to some people, and then he'll say the opposite later on. So we don't know what he's going to do. But the very first thing he did say in the speech was that infrastructure. So I think he will go down that route. And whether you believe or I believe is is wrong. I think we both think that it's uh, it's we both believe it's going to work in the short term. I think it's going to work. It can work long term too. So that to me is a big thing. I, you know, when we talk about Doug, you know, about uh, is this wonkish? <laughs> like, let's put this into perspective, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, we're, we're from the Marxist left, right? You know, that's right. like, that's pretty far out there. And then we're proponents of the falling rate of profits. So that makes us even to the, to the wonks of the wonks. And then like, you know, so we've got no chance. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we are, we are minority of a minority of a minority. And to make it worse, we're, yeah. We're skeptical. And you guys are putting, yeah, go ahead. and you guys are putting me in my own minority then. <laughs> yeah, right. And you're an, and, and you're an MNT, so it, like you're a heresy to you're a heretic to everybody. Um, it's okay. You're not under the it's realm okay. of the God Emperor though, so I guess it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's funny though. That, that let's finally get to fucking Russia. Um, okay. It's a long. It's a long Russia, way to Russia. <laughs> There, this is why the, the problems with the geostrategic stuff needs to be really addressed. The Middle East in particular is solely dependent, we're not solely dependent, with the exception of Turkey, um, mostly dependent on mineral extraction. That's true for Egypt. That's true for Saudi Arabia. It's not as true for Dubai and Qatar. Those are a little bit different. But nonetheless, that's what's driven them. They're running low. We, the United States played an interesting political game with them that's been undercommented on. You know, there was this theory on the left that the United States was paying Saudi Arabia off to flood the market. That's not what was going on. 
this is the same thing that happened in the United States in 1920 before in the 1890s to 1920 before standard oil really gets monopolized and and what people don't realize slowed production down is the 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 fear of losing profits and the fear of a loss of revenue steam has led Saudi Arabia to pump out more and more oil to get as much as it can out now so it can hope to build infrastructure um, itself for other kinds of industrial development later because without it it's got nothing but sand and and mecca it's got sand and mecca um this has led it to be more aggressive militarily but the thing about that and this this is another thing most people on the left people on the left don't know much about oddly don't know a whole lot about the world as much as they talk about republicans not um is that they're they, they are increasingly aggressive um religiously for point of internal stability, but also in sort of minor areas to kind of expand and solidify territory because there's a chance that things are going to be more unstable in their own countries, both religiously and class-relatedly because there's not as much money that these Saudis can basically dump into their own economy. Um, because of that, they have to wipe out these neighboring things like the, the, the Zaini Shiites um, in, uh, Come on, Derek, get there. in, in Yemen. Anyway, the United States has taken a very weird tact where even though it's quote unquote terrorist enemies are larger are largely Sunni, that it has decided to risk a Sunni um, you know, a Sunni megastate, uh, more or less, by continuing to back up Saudi Arabia as a traditional ally. I'm not quite sure why we are doing it. There's a lot of rumbling both left and right against Saudi Arabia. Um, maybe, and in, in, in they're increasingly not important for oil. I can tell you why they're doing, we're doing it. It's because of that Clinton Foundation. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, but um, the, reason, the reason why they are doing it is that the U.S. doesn't actually get much Middle Eastern oil. It doesn't use it. It gets more from West Africa and from uh, Venezuela and Mexico it used to get it from and Canada. But it does it to control uh, the rest of the world, which that is a very important place where they get their oil, particularly China. So the reason why they want to be there is not so much for their own. It, it's for geopolitical did, power reasons. Did it, did it explain why they didn't try to do China and Iran. This is where, like, I think you're being naive again. Sorry, say, but, I, you know, say, yeah. say it again. You, I, think you're being I think you're being naive. I, I got that um, bit. I didn't get the first bit. <laughs> I said, well, why didn't they try to do more about Iran? The only good thing the Obama administration did, as far as my, my, my perspective for world peace, was to try to reach out to Iran a year ago. Yes, but what's your problem? It was really that? weird. I don't. That's a good thing, but but my issue is like, why were they trying to do that? Because Iran, I think is they were going doing to be. For... Hmm? Go on. Sorry, you think Iran's going to be? Iran's going to be the major supplier to in, to Russia and China, even more than it already well, Russia, is. But Russia doesn't need any supply. It's an exporter. China needs some supply, and Iran will be a, a major supplier there. But I think the reason is that America has has understood that they can't fight multiple battles at once. So they want to finish the one they're doing with, with Syria, Iraq, whatever you want to call that. Maybe they'll deal with Iran. But I think they basically, you know, Obama as a kind of a strate strategic chess player has decided we, do, we can't take on the Iranians right now. So we, we'll do one at a time. And I think that's purely it. 
I, I tend to think you're overestimating the U.S. Strategic Command because I, their pivot to Asia was dumb. Um, their their playing of of insurgent what? forces in the Middle East have 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 backfired every single damn time, and they continue to do it. Yes, but um, it depends. It depends what you think they're trying to do. You know what I mean? Like you. If you if you look at what is happening in these places, you know at some stage you got to go. Are they actually? Is that a design? You see, like the one thing that you do not want is people being independent. They don't want strong independent states. You know. Ah uh, yes, yes, they, yes. You know they don't. They would really much prefer to have Al Qaeda in a ragbag in power in Syria than a strong state. And so it, you know, and they don't want a state that's against their their issues. They prefer Libya the way it is now. America does, maybe not Europe, but they prefer Libya the way it is now than it was under Gaddafi, because he had have some independent, you know, options. For Europe action. led that more than America did. So. I know they. I know they did. Well, Hillary led it. Obama wasn't well, behind it. Right. I know that was that was in the State Department's um, but here, running of uh, military policy. I'm, I'm aware. I, I, I've. Um, I've uh, leading this back to the Trump election. I've got uh, a point for you guys. The thing I see about uh, the thing I see that's very very interesting about this is that you know when the current international geopolitical system was set up, um, you know, post World War Two, America was so dominant. And now, you know, they're just nowhere near the same dominance. They used to be 50% of GDP, now they're 25. But most of the institutions still reflect their 1940s dominance. And right. when you've got a guy like Donald Trump, you know, these, these systems of power, they're so complex. You know, they're like, they're like big mounds of sand. You know, you add one more thing and then a bit falls off here or there. It's impossible to predict. It's so complex. But, like, it seems to me that Donald Trump, like, I... I don't know if you guys understand it. Well, you probably do, Derek. You're in Egypt, but like, say, uh, Doug's in America, so he, he doesn't see it from a European point of view so much. But like in Europe, everybody's looking at Donald Trump and they're literally going, this guy is a tool. You know, he is a he is a moron. You know, well, I don't think he's a moron. I think he's an asshole. You know, and they look at him and every single prime minister, if they go over to America and they shake hands with Donald Trump, that is like political dynamite at home. You know, that's suicide. Yeah. So, so, I, hope so vote. I hope Europe ends over this. It, it'll make me happy. But I do think that when, you know, that kind of idea of Americans, you know, the American state having this kind of idea of being an ideological leader, you know, the, the world's policeman and all that, I think that's going to weaken a lot that people won't see America as a moral force. You know, the irony is they do see America. Who the as hell a moral sees a, America as a moral force? Loads I of mean, people like... do. Loads of people do, Derek. That's just not even a, a thing to argue about. And and like loads of people do. But when Donald Trump's in in in, in power, there we will be able to see. I think we will probably see if God, if you sound like a European elitist. All right, let's. No, no, I I, I, I am laying. I, I, no, I really am kind of tired. Well, of this Theresa stuff. may have trouble shaking uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, hand. I mean, like, no, she 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 actually got really badly. She, all the all well, the. Le here, li listen, because you boys are going to win the presidential election in two years. I mean, come on. Listen, listen, Derek. 
in in the the head. Do you I'm see the, fine with the Europeans, by the way. I, I love you guys, and I know you're better than I am. So let's go on. No, we're not. We're not. Uh, you're just our slightly retarded cousin. But the uh, when you're joking. But um, you, you you like have you seen the da- the headline of the Daily Telegraph today? Oh yeah, I know. I know they're going to do that. I mean, yeah. Well, this, but this it's is going to accelerate the problem for Europe because. One, but but, but we're, uh, no, we're talking about pulling out of NATO with with Russia on your goddamn border. I mean, this is where like you know people like, in for Europe. Real. No, but 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 look, come on. Let, let look at what happened when George Bush was in power. He was very unpopular in Europe, and when America went to war in Iraq, you know, you had the French voting against it in the in the UN, and you had a lot of you had a lot of uproar. Now Donald Trump is like George Bush. Uh, times a hundred guys he really genuinely is not even the right wing in europe you know a lot of the right wing in europe are against him so when because it, he's gauche yes i understand you know no, so yeah, when, that's obviously true so when so that that means that when when america tries to apply a uh, course of power in europe and other places around the world they won't have that moral standing and we, i think we're going to see a realignment about uh, certainly a more more ease of independence of movement Politically, for other states, and that might, you know, I think that, that might be I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, look, that's kind. Wasn't that sort of what the Clinton campaign was saying all along? Like this guy's not fit. He's going to embarrass us on the world stage. He's not. You know, you don't want to reality. I am so rolling my eyes. I'm to, I'm, I, I, I really want to watch a counter argument here. Um, Okay, go yes, ahead. I'm, you're right. I'm not very few people. Dave, you finish that. You did you finish, Doug? Well, I was just gonna yeah. say I'm not arguing. I'm not even. I'm just saying, like, I'm just. I don't see what the significance of that is for Derek, you need, the left. So, sorry, Derek. You need to mute yourself when you're not talking because it's really, really badly interfering. But uh, sorry, Doug. Continue there. I just don't see the significance of that for the left uh, exactly. I mean, it, you know, yeah, so European leaders are going to be embarrassed to be seen with Donald Trump. Uh, no. We won't have the moral force that we once had, which, to my mind, might be not even a bad thing if you're talking about trying to organize uh, an illegal invasion of Iraq. It wasn't bad that, that Bush couldn't do it. Uh, I'm, you know, so. But Bush could uh, do it. So, barely, like, right? yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that, like, this might actually, this might actually. Uh, weaken America's ability to act like they did in Iraq. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's a positive thing for the left. But also, we're just discussing about what are the implications of a Trump, I, but Trump but thing. But I think the argument against that the left. Is, is Theresa May and Le Pen and, and others who are going to be rising up just like Trump. It's not, I don't think Europe is off the hook as far as having their same the same kind of right-wing populist reactions bringing people just as disreputable into power as Trump. I mean, well, well, look at all the nearly all of them. Like I just saw a selection of the right wing, uh, both tabloids and and broadsheets in the UK. And an awful lot of them were slating Trump. Yeah. Full page headlines, slagging him off. That has never happened before uh, to do it. That's never happened for any US president. And it's never happened, certainly for a right wing president. That's unprecedented. That's unprecedented. There has never been somebody like Trump. Uh, and the, so the UK has also Europe. never been so irrelevant. But we can continue. But yeah, I'm not um, saying. Yeah, like I'm Irish, so I don't give a crap. But I'm just saying about how America is perceived. Like the Irish press is going ballistic. 
They're saying, of course that, you are. They're, well, they're saying like, like Ireland, like they're saying that you know that the prime minister, or Irish prime minister, the Taoiseach, shouldn't go over to America on Patrick's Day. That's been done every year for like a hundred years. They're saying, how can we send somebody over there to Donald Trump? They're going and to boycott I mean, his businesses. I'm fine with that because I think that's going to accelerate the destruction of Europe. It was more my point. I don't think it's just the United States that's going to. You have this Chomskyite worldview that this has all been America's elite dominating everything, and somehow Europe wasn't complicit in this the entire fucking time. No, I think and, they were secondary. They were not the main drivers of power, but you know they're secondary. Look who look who has the um, uh, look who where the U.S. bases are. We don't have European bases in America. We've got American bases in Europe. That's a good indicator of who's right in the driving seat. And this is political determinism. Again, not very great Marxism on your part. But um, no, it's not I, a simple it's not a simple yes or no. I'm just saying that America is the dominant power when you know and and, and yes, and we are not gonna be any more and, to certain degree. In a way this is an argument also, for Trump, right? I mean you're saying okay, because Trump's gonna be more of an isolationist. Trump yeah, will make the, been making arguments for Trump the entire time. I'm not making an argument no. for him, I'm just discussing <laughs> this one. <laughs> I know this is terrible. <laughs> You know, I, this is terrible. But like, I'm just saying. Like, I know. I, I didn't want to point out that this is the second time you've sided with this fascist Donald Trump, but uh, <laughs> but it is. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stop broadcasting. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, but oh, just, I'm just trying to talk about what are these implications? You know, because I think that's a major implication. You guys probably don't. I, I don't know if you agree with it, or you, maybe you think we shouldn't talk about it just because it's positive no. in some light. <laughs> No, I mean, I don't have a problem talking about positive things about Trump. I don't have a problem talking about positive things about any of this. Um, one, I, I, what complicates this is Russia. What complicates this all the way around is Russia. Because Russia is more aggressive right now than it's ever been. It has every economic reason to be so, particularly if you're right. Um, uh, because if you're right, Tom, then then they need their war economy. It doesn't That's need how to they're going to justify their building. Yeah, well, but it's going to be. I think it's going to be a, a combination of war and infrastructure. Much well, it, in Russia or in the United States? I think in the United so, States, yes. Yes, in United Russia, States. In Russia, I think it's going to be war. They already have plenty of infrastructure, although I'm not sure how good it's doing. I haven't been to Russia. In Russia, um, their infrastructure is pretty crap, I think. I, uh, I don't know what it's going to be like in Russia. Russia is more neoliberal. See, Trump's not a neoliberal. Whatever the hell he is, he's a, he's a neo-fascist, but he's not a neoliberal. But Putin but the is thing is, Putin's not either. Putin's he not really neoliberal. Is. I don't think so. I think, I think he's been playing those two sides off each other internally in the United Russia. That's why Dugan had a point, was appointed so high in the Moscow University for so long, and then that's why he was sacked. That's why the uh, Minyevet, who was a neoliberal, was promoted, and then his his portion of the party was basically purged. Um, I, I really don't think one, even that Europeans have been following Russian politics very closely. And two, because of that, they're misreading the situation. Um, to get back to Putin, Putin is playing the same great game the United States is. You know, you even have people. And I'm going to call you out. You've had people on your on your podcast that are fronts for him. Yeah, I didn't know that. Fronts. Yeah, I didn't um, know that. And it's funny did, did because that, did I you find that. out that was true, Tom? Did you like verify that he was a front guy? Well, no. D Derek pointed me out to some sites that he was writing for. 
you know that the, were, the, the, the the sites were fronts. I don't know that the dude is actually a front. No, but, but he did he did say some things that were a bit I thought a bit strange. Like Putin Putin is a traitor, you know, and that that yeah, Putin is a traitor because he wouldn't have nuclear war with uh, the United States. But he didn't exactly said. say that. But uh, <laughs> that's pretty close to what he said. Close, but um, one of these um, Mar- these Marxists who believe that we can only get to no, he's an anti NATO person. No, he's an anti NATO person. With uh, who writes for a lot of sites that that are that do get Russian money, um, that that I can say for sure. I can't say anything about him personally, and I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to slander the guy if I'm wrong. But I do know the sites he was writing for get Russian money explicitly. Um, things like global research. CNN, can I can way. I throw out an idea or just throw out an observation that might shift us a little bit? Uh, Please. Please. What what, I, what I've noticed is that there there are two different kinds of concerns at work in this conversation on the one hand there's the concern that i have because of my just because of my facebook wall which, which is well, how do derek, we deal sorry, with sorry, oh, derek can you mute yourself because it's very hard to hear when when you're not talking sorry uh, don't, sorry continue sorry well how do we deal with basically the less um nuanced you know less ideological parts of the left that uh are so easily I, i'll call it like from Bernie Sanders to the left, who are very easily just sort of channeled into the Democratic Party, who are now demoralized and sort of, you know, talk about losing moral authority, who've lost their moral authority in this moment. How do we stop that kind of self-pitying overreaction and start to try to rebuild and figure out a way forward? There's that kind of conversation, which maybe is profoundly naive. And then there's this conversation about how should we do our left analysis uh, is there any good side to Trump? Are, I mean, I'm almost hearing like a, maybe we need to align ourselves with aspects of Trump's agenda, which I, I think is very dangerous, incredibly dangerous. Um, so those are like the two kinds of conversations. Are they at all overlapping or is this? You know, yeah, they're overlapping. I mean, here's the thing. I haven't talked about this much except privately with you guys, but the, it's important to note that, while the first generation of, of alt-rightists that I know all came from uh, all came from the right, they came from the paleoconservative movement. They were too racialist for them. The second generation has all come from either libertarians or former Marxists. Um, they're not neoliberals at all, and they viewed Trump as an opportunistic way to jump ahead. Now. Um, to, 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 bring that, to bring that back. Why did that happen? Um, why, and why has it been so hard to counter? Well, to get back to Russia and all these things, until a year ago, every leftist and liberal that I knew loved Russia today, almost like stupidly so. All right? Because it confirmed parts of their worldview. They didn't pay attention to the parts of it that didn't. They didn't pay attention to the fact that Richard Spencer, for example, could get on Russia today. Um, and nobody else would talk to the alt-right. They didn't pay attention to any of that. But they definitely liked the, the, the confirmation view about the discontent in the United States, particularly against Republicans. And then when it was clear that it was in Putin's interest, and we talk about geostrategic weak, weakening, um, to, to sort of push someone like Trump, for some of the reasons that I think Tom agrees. I, my issue with Tom is not that I think he's wrong about America. It's that I think he's wrong about Europe. I, I mean, it's not that I think America is going to gain a whole lot of prestige. I know that a whole lot of 
of the, Europe is not being willing to shake his hand. But that doesn't matter anymore. That's where you're wrong, Derek. Like, things like that do matter. You know, that the Americans standing, however you want to put it, some of their power in the world is a, is a function of their propaganda. And Trump has turned their propaganda on its ass. Let's just move on. I mean, I, there's no way getting, you know, I see the well, point. No, here. I mean, I just, I, I'm going to The point is that Europe well, doesn't here. matter. The point, like America's falling, so is Europe. Well, so here, right. things are becoming more even across the globe. Yes, so, exactly. So, right. so that's, my, that's my point, too. That's like, the I, point, right? I mean, yeah. so the reason why it doesn't matter whether or not Europeans are going to shake Donald Trump's hand is because maybe, maybe he wants to shake Putin's hand. Maybe he's more concerned with China. You know, uh, maybe Europe is not the number one person that the United yeah, States could just be the little about. the little dingly bit off of Eurasia anyway. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think European self-importance is married by American self-importance only in that it gets a scapegoat usually in its in a switch. American self-importance self. is the biggest self-importance well, in the world. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Let's move on to what Doug was talking about. What can we hope about? Let's leave this Russia stuff behind because obviously we're just saying the same thing or arguing all the time. Uh, what, 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 um, uh, what is the hopes for these people who have maybe been taken into the Democratic Party to, after the Sanders thing? And uh, from, personally, from my point of view, having gone through a, quite a like Ireland went through a kind of very traumatic re uh, election in 2008, 2009, when everything fell apart, that the main party, which would be in the equivalent, it wouldn't be an equivalent in America, but it would have been like the Republicans and the Democrats put together. It basically lost three quarters of its vote. Now, and, you know, that allowed a space for other parties to come in. I know we got proportional representation, but it feels like to me that, uh, that, that something like what has happened here is going to lead, could lead to a split in the Democratic Party. Either internally it'll split and it'll it'll be caught up like the Labour Party and not able to function, or it might actually split and we might see something happening. What, what would you guys think about that? Dear God, I hope it, I don't think it's going to happen, the, the, the latter, but I hope it hell will happen. What, as far what about as the I'm former? Gonna, the former is almost inevitable. Um, the problem is that the election law in the states is handled on a state-to-state -state basis, and it's been built up by a clue by the parties before the election laws were even there. So it's very hard to imagine barring a civil war, which is what happened the last time we had a major party realignment, something like this happening. Now, I'm not predicting a civil war in the United States, even though some liberals seem to think that it's now inevitable. Um, I just really think that... It would require the left to do something that I don't see it doing in the U.S. because I didn't see it doing it in the U.K. I haven't seen it doing it in the Anglosphere, period. And that is really go after, and I mean really go after, any collaboration with um, with the bourgeois party uh, that required you to become a member. And I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. Um, because I don't see them being willing to, I don't see them being willing to, in general, being willing to risk alienating unions and whatever in the United States. Not that unions really matter, because they only make up about 
19% of the working force and only about 7% or so of the non-government working force. But, um, and they tend to only be in coastal elite areas too. And, um, you know, uh, there's a whole bunch of issues with that. But it's just, I don't see that happening because of the entrenchment of the leadership of the, of like the American labor movement and so much that it even exists Here, within uh, the democratic apparatus. I just can't see them doing that, but they will go to cold war to explain within themselves to explain what happened. I have, um, I have a question for the two of you guys. I, I am a big, uh, for, for my, uh, for my sins. I'm a very big boxing, uh, fan. And I was listening to a boxing podcast and at the end of the podcast, it's about some UK guys and some American guys, and they were talking about the US election for the last few minutes. And just like two normal punters, no political aficionados or anything, were talking about how uh, the DNC screwed over Bernie and like a pox on both their houses, essentially, the both of them were saying. Like, do you think that that uh, narrative is mainstream in America? And do you see it? have an effect or do you think that it'll just be propagandized away and we'll forget about it um i'm going to jump in and say it is a talking point on the liberal left side of the democratic party um you know you'll see it in various venues you probably see it in uh, like uh, democracy now um it even comes up in more mainstream venues when you have little round tables of pundits talking uh and I don't think it's going to have any influence on the future of the kinds of candidates we'll see or the kinds of policies we'll, we'll see coming out of what's left of the Democratic Party. I, one thing that just off to the side of this is, but there's been a big, there was a big conversation up until the, the like election day about how the Republican Party had been completely decimated um, and, you know, fractured and blown to bits. And uh, that um, obviously is not true because the, the you know not only did Trump I think win, it is but true. I think what was the Republican Party? Trump, Trump not only did Trump win, but the Republicans you know with you know held on and even expanded their uh, power in the House and Senate. So, um, so yeah, no. What what remains to be seen is what kind of internal battles will go on in the Republican Party. But as a power. The Republican Party is actually the 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 winner in in this election cycle, um, and I think that that will continue to be the case, you know, for le- at least the next four years, or or actually at least the next two years. So um, here's a, here's a follow up question, Doug. To say you said that you don't think that you think that people know about it, but you you don't think it'll have any effect if they know that say the DNC are largely responsible for the Donald Trump we have now uh, or for Bernie's for certainly for ditching of Bernie. But uh, so do you not think that if people are aware that it might affect what the, how people organize that they might see that the democratic party is essentially useless. You know, we had all these people that came from the black movements and the, and a lot of people, um, I, one of the guys from the Black Agenda Report I heard talking the other day, people who were probably close to the Black Panthers who ended up going back in to try and reform the Democratic Party for 20 years and they got nowhere. Do you think that people will, you just think it'll just fall apart or do you think they'll just end up being co-opted again? They got co-opted the last two cycles. I don't know why this would be any different. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'll go. With, yeah, go ahead, Brian. I mean, I don't want to credit liberals for with a total lack of imagination. I do think it's going to have some effect, but it's going to have some effect within the corridors of an internal, you know, war with progressives, and that's about to start. I mean, um, I, you know, uh, I have friends around the Red Party in the United States, which is a very small party, and the Socialist Party around the United States, and they pretty much declared a no holds bar war on Democrats as of today. Um, you know, blaming them for Trump. And I, I kind of think they're right to do that in spirit, but I don't know what effect they can possibly have. You're talking about groups with like four and 500 members, if I'm being optimistic, and probably more like 80. Um, now, in the larger war in the DNC, who knows? I mean, the problem with the DNC in some degree is while it's, it's under coteries or young, there was not a single face on that stage ever, including Bernie, that was younger than 65. Um, uh, they President are, Obama. Yeah, sure. Not, but not on the not anyone who's going to be in power anymore. President Obama's good and is seems to have been put put out the pasture. In fact, he's been seen to put out the pasture before he's even done, as is normally the last year. But, I mean, he's not seen very relevant in this at all. Right. He didn't promote anyone young. He didn't um, build up any new cadres. The closest thing they got was Van Jones. Which got He got run out to MSNBC. I mean, there's really... There's not a whole lot he's going to have to show for building up his wing of the party, because he pretty much gave it all to Clinton in anyway. Um... The Biden carry wing didn't really do anything, and and they're also old. I mean, so I don't know where those ashes are going to be picked up. What I'm more interested in is whether or not people can admit that was even a problem. I mean, and in some ways, I kind of want the Democrats to split. I really would hope that they would split, but knowing what I know about the structure of American law, that doesn't seem very likely. There's way too many. There's 50 barriers to change, not one. Yeah, that's why I think the the kind of the entryist kind of option is probably the most likely to succeed, like it is for say Corbyn in the UK. But uh, in the chat, we had uh, Toby Kamor said, "What about Corey Brooker?" Can I just insert a groan? Okay. <laughs> yeah, Corey Brooker, you know everyone's favorite uh, neoliberal. That sure. I don't That'll even know who he is, so that shows you. He's 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 a, a African American uh, mayor, uh, mayor governor. Anyway, he was he was a key figure, but you notice he's not on the national stage. You will notice he was not ever considered as a, even a, a presidential VP. I mean, if you look at the list of of of, of Clinton's VPs, it was the most milk toast people and the most like edgy white liberal people you could find. There was never a moment where there was going to be any concession to even Obama's wing of the party, which is what you're talking about with Cole Booker, um, much less, uh, much less, you know, Sanders's people are, are Elizabeth Warren and people like Michael Moore and a lot of people, you know, Michael Moore actually sort of explained what was going to happen with Trump. And then, and also have been have been you know close to demonizing Clinton for 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 months, and then had to celebrate his voting for her. 
I call, I, what happened I, to him? Did, they, did, he, did he get some sort of lobotomy, or what the hell was that? I've never seen know. him more artificial than that. I mean, it was disgusting. What was? Oh, he, did, he made a little movie a couple of oh, days yeah. before the election where, where he had to stand up and say, I love mom. She's going to be great because she's mom, and you should vote for mom. It was just gross. While explaining why no one would. You know, like, right, right. Explaining very well why the kind of nihilistic hatred of the establishment that was behind the Trump phenomenon. Um, he then went on to give these really unconvincing arguments, arguments about how important that it was to elect the first woman president on that basis alone, on Absolutely. no other basis. Guys, it's we've been on for an hour and a half now. What have we not covered? Is there... Uh, so, Brian Main here. Well, I must say, <laughs> somebody in the chat said earlier, who was a wizard gherkin, said, how long is it till Tom wears a red hat? Uh, <laughs> I've got my uh, Make America Grey hat uh, in the post. Um, Brian Main in the chat also said, uh, whatever happens next will be to the... So, sorry, Derek, can you mute there, please? It's a bit... Uh, yeah, uh, he said, whatever comes next will be to the Democratic Party what the Republicans were to the Whigs. What do we, what do we make about that? Anybody want to comment on that? Civil War. No, um... <laughs> no, I, just uh... don't, I just don't agree with that. I just don't see that happening, but... Yeah. Okay, so is there anything we haven't covered yet? Because I don't want to go on too much longer. Uh, th there's so much we haven't covered, and yet I really don't feel like talking about it. Um, I, it we, get, we can easily get lost in the weeds. I think the biggest thing that we're going to need to look for, we do have an open, re we have an open rejection of policy wonks. Um, at the same time, as you said, it actually in favor of policy. Like the, 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 the weird thing about all this pragmatism is how unpragmatic and unwonky it actually was. Uh, Oh, well, I you disagree. Know. I disagree. I think it's all very practical. What is? A lot of it is practical. You, are you, you mean the Clinton rhetoric? No, no, I'm sorry. Talking I'm talking about, about Trump. No, I'm talking about the Clinton rhetoric. I'm, I'm saying that, like, there was no real... They are the policy of... They're the party of wonks. They're the party of, of policy. Like, that's when the Democrats bread and butter forever. They had nothing on the table. Nothing. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. But they have um, a very they, specific type of policy, a policy that is designed to sound good but not do anything. I don't know if anybody... Agrees I, no, I, I, you know, I basically agree with you. I mean, I, I kind of conceived of them as putting themselves in the position of trying to strike a balance between, you know, uh, neoliberal deregulation and intervention into the the banking system and, and regulation to try to keep the tiny bit of bubble going that we have in the economy, looking to, you know, the low unemployment rate and the um, other indicators as justification for this sort of mixed bag, uh, wonky um, managerial kind of position uh, that, you know, was actually quite dangerous, but um, that's what I think they offered. And Trump offered a lot of big ideas. I don't think that the majority of them were at all practical. Um, I don't think there are many practical 
solutions within the system we have. I mean, I, I'm kind of simple-minded about this. I think that the, all these problems that we're having stem from the same source, which is that there are eternal contradictions in capitalism, blah, blah, blah. I mean, this is a party line for me, but it also happens to be what I believe to be the facts. And so I don't, I, I mean, I don't know exactly what, uh, how we should be organizing around that. My hope at the moment is just that people on the left, if they think of themselves as on the left, will start to, can stop fighting along these cultural lines long enough to say, to take a look at the underlying conditions and to dare to think about it. I mean, well, it's so little that I'm asking, and I know it's just like, again, that's a slogan, but it's what I've got. Well, I think there's a lot to be said there, Doug, that I presume we all agree that, you know, it's not Debbie Wasserman is to the fault. You know, it's, it's nobody's fault. The real person's problem fault is the falling rate of profit. I don't know. No, no, it isn't. Not if you think that, you know, you can just print your own money and solve all your problems for, you know. Well, I do think and... that is a way out of the falling rate of profit. And we can talk about that another day. But is there anything else that we haven't touched on that we want to touch on before we wrap up? Well, I, I think it's interesting to see one of the things we haven't talked about that we, I brought up in the beginning is the whiteification of people of color. And I'm using that word in, in specific, but people have completely, the, the cultural left have completely misunderstood, um, and have people that, on, on their own communities, the, the identification of, of, people, of people of color in the United States with the Democrats and as a coherent group. Hispanics, you know, if George Zimmerman doesn't teach you that Hispanics can become white, I don't know what does. I mean, also, like, I, I well, agree. I agree. I agree with you. But look, you know, there's a lot of a lot of right wing Cubans in Florida, and they, you know, always vote Republican. That you know, this idea that they're, you know, if you're black or you're brown, you have to be Democrat is is a fallacy. Right, and and as and as the demographics of the United States change, those communities will become more diverse. That's the true. only people who I can't, you know, who I say things usually get the crap under the stick are the people who cannot whiteify and that's the african-american community that like they're by default in the united states the group of which you can never you know normalize into the white community because by definition that's really all that white means it's not black um do you know like one thing i gotta say boys is that you know we've been on for an hour and a half an hour and 40 minutes now and it's three three white blokes here and we've never once mentioned the, the, the term misogyny hardly we haven't talked about sexism in this co in this conversation at all yeah that's big um and i i don't know there's well, going to be reams I, of papers built on this actually for years and i, I i'm going to shut up so Doug can talk and i'll talk i'll just say something that's not very politic but i i think that it's really the problem with talking about misogyny and gender issues uh, in, in, in regards to this election is, because, is, is, is that both sides played the gender card so obviously in, in, such, a dis, in such disgusting ways that uh, um, I think any self-respecting feminist would have been completely turned off by Clinton and all but the most kind of diluted MRAs should have been turned off by Trump. I mean, it just... It's it, uh, the, the gender war here was so it seemed entirely manufactured to me. I mean, I, I don't think that 
someone like Elizabeth Warren, who I don't um, agree with in, in a lot of ways, uh, on economics especially, but I don't think someone like Elizabeth Warren would have had um, the same difficulties that Clinton did. She may have suffered some of the same sexist remarks or sexist attacks, but she would have weathered them fine. Uh, Clinton was particularly vulnerable to them because it was all she was running on. So, I mean, that's probably not the most enlightened perspective, but that's mine. I, I think there's a lot going on here as far as uh, misogyny goes. And the other thing is the feminist community itself was fairly divided on this. I mean, nobody was in support of Trump. And, but um, Trump wouldn't have won if he didn't have some women voters. There's just no way around that. So one of the things people are going to have to ask themselves, why would a, a woman vote for Trump? Did, I heard a, a guys. I heard a, a statistic today that a majority of uh, of third level educated white or third level educated women voted for Trump. I happen yeah, to I, know a woman who voted for Trump. She's my um, she's an in law, and she's in her sixties. She's educated. In fact, she's still in. She's gone back to school because she can't get work. And she's just sort of trying to, this is a story I tell a lot, but it's, it's an important one. She just needs the loans to survive. She has no real uh, expectation she's going to have a career for any length of time, at all, if at all, after she's done with school. She's lengthening out her school stay as long as possible. And she voted for Trump, um, not because she's not a feminist, uh, not because she doesn't think that a woman should be in power, but because for the same reason anybody would vote for Trump. She wanted to blow up the establishment, which had put her in this position of being sick most of the time, uh, unemployable, uh, and, and basically conning her way into, uh, you know, survival. Uh, so that's why I think a lot of women voted for, the women who did might have voted for Trump was because they feel that way. I believe so I've got another stat for you guys uh, from what I saw today on The Guardian about a couple of hours ago that Hillary actually won the popular vote. Yeah. I've heard that. Um, I've heard that too, but I've also seen another statistic that had Trump winning it by 1.9%. And um, I actually need to go and look at the numbers. We won't know for sure for another, probably another 24 hours, honestly, who really run the popular vote. Um if I, I'm not surprised if she did, and no, and uh, that's going to make things even more fun. Because, but to be honest, that's also not surprising because of the patterns of development in the United States. It's another thing we haven't talked about, but that's going to really complicate things. The rural-urban divide has become more severe in the U.S., like it has pretty much everywhere. Um, and the rural area has gotten really decimated in the last 10 years. I mean, really bad. You know, and I, like I said, I grew up near that. I've seen it. And, um, the, but the cities are the centers of population and they tend to be blue. Um, I, I can't, for the same reason I can't see the Democrats splitting up, I also can't really see them having enough ground game to really do anything about the rural urban divide, nor that they even seem to want to. I don't know why. I actually really don't understand that. But, um, because they have been losing state by state elections since Obama, you know, since since actually the second term after Obama, um, pretty consistently, and during redistricting years a lot of the times, 
Um, and they haven't been playing the game hardly at all at a state level. If you look at the number of, um, like, for example, Democratic governors to, Demo to Republican ones, it's actually kind of severe, the difference. Um, that's not going to be changed anytime soon. Even if, even if Hillary didn't run the popular vote, and I'm not saying she didn't. I think she probably did, actually. Uh, the uh, the long-run effect of this is going to be what exactly? Because like, the same reasons I can't see the Democratic Party really being split is the same reasons I can't see them reforming re-election laws is the same reason why I can't see... So there's so many things I can't see under the current system. There's so many chokeholds. Um, so with all that said, you're going to have to really reimagine, like trying to fight to get rid of the, re the, 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 the electoral college in the United States. That requires a constitutional amendment or a fucking convention, a constitutional convention, which, you know, we've never had since the first one, which was illegal. Well well, Derek, let's not go there. Guys, I'm going to have to go. It's been one hour, 47 minutes. Of let's be done with this. Very good. Mark's the Thanks. It was nice. Loving conversations. Uh, I'm going to put this up on, uh, it'll be on the YouTube. It'll also go on the Podomatic. And Doug, you're going to chuck it up. I'll as put well. it on zero squared, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I probably won't even edit it. I'll just... Me too. I'm not yeah. going to edit. I'm just going to put it straight up. I'm going to be full of Derek shuffling every five minutes, but sure. What can we do, That's Derek? That's all right. You know, there you go. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was. The, the, I want to ask you one thing before. You, what do you think about the misogyny issue? I know that's. I'm. I'm not letting you go, but just answer that yourself, and then, if you would. Me. What do I think of misogyny? About the misogyny issue. Obviously, you're against misogyny, but yeah. the misogyny in this campaign. Well, I think it's like. Uh, well, it's weird. I think Hillary displayed misogyny towards Donald Trump's wife. I think there was definitely like sexist attacks against her. And then Donald Trump is an obvious yeah. misogynist slash uh, sex pest, I suppose the best way to put him. You know, right. and I, I think that, you know, I think people, in the end of the day, they didn't care about it. I think they just, they look at a lot of the parties and all these politicians, and there's lots of them come out with, you know, whether it's Wiener or whether it's Bill Clinton, and they end up coming out with, with sex you know, things. And I think they just kind of go, they're all the same and they kind of ignore it. But I, I do think it's got, it's going to have a bad impact on what people think is acceptable behavior as opposed to whether I think Donald Trump got loads of, you know, misogynists giving him votes. I don't think he probably did. All right. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. Just wanted you to have to weigh in since you hit that hot button and then they put yeah no on. i just thought that I, you know always i i never have female guests on my show because i'm reading economic stuff the whole time and i never get to talk about that stuff and i you know i don't consider myself able to talk about it but i i am my my missus my missus there you go that's some misogyny for you my partner <laughs> always always gives out to me for for it and so does my mother so i thought i should at least include one minute of it at the end uh, guys thanks right. very much and, right, thank uh, you and uh, sure, we'll talk again. <laughs> Maybe right. we should do this more often. It's good. Yeah. It's good fun. All right. Yeah. Take care, Dude. guys. Bye. Bye. Hail Bye. Trump. Hail Trump.